aren't even i kind of feel bored like with what's going on i mean the beginning of an administration can sometimes be like you know a little boring you really just first couple of weeks are going to be confirming appointments and stuff like that but well i think based on, i mean the last four years have been like literally every second there's like some nonsense happening that's that true captures too. the news cycle so i feel like we're even more like yeah we are expecting more when like going back to normal seems a little underwhelming because i would say Something when they write about it yeah so right about boredom when they when they banned trump it was like so quiet and now even now it's like you know, biden's in office and it's just so quiet like where are you little fucking skinheads at we're all joga <laughs> and they little bastards are out there hiding somewhere you little I don't know, man. So just, and then this whole like impeachment thing, like I had high hopes and then Rand Paul started showing his ass today and I'm like, oh my God, here we, I mean, he's like the last couple of days, he's been like bitching about him and Rubio's dumbass have been bitching about like the constitutionality of being able to, to impeach a president after he's out of office. So basically right now it's just a debate back and forth between Democrats about whether it's constitutional to impeach Trump or not since he's already gone. And Rand Paul is saying that it's not constitutional because he's no longer in office and so what he did today was he made a motion to have a full roll call vote on the constitutionality of impeaching Trump. And it doesn't, it didn't really do anything substantive. The only thing it really did was gave Democrats a view into what, whether they could actually impeach him or not, because they need 17 senators. And I think it failed. They only got five. So it they got five. Yeah. So yeah, Rand, <clears throat> Rand, uh, Rand Paul's, I don't know, motion failed. It was 55, 45. Um, with McConnell, would you, would you, would you need 60 in that or would you need two thirds? Well, I mean, so the motion didn't matter, but in order for them to convict, they would need uh, 67. So basically all he did was just show like, basically give the Democrats the bird and show like, see, you clearly don't have the votes to do this. Like you still need 12 more votes. So this has nothing to do with Laura Trump threatening to primary Rubio or is Ivanka? Which of the children's threatening to primary so how, Also, uh, Laura Trump also was uh, vying for the North Carolina Senate seat. How does she, like, where does she live? What's her residence? Yeah, I was wondering like, that too. That's, uh, that's Eric's wife. She was wondering, she was like threatening to go for a bird seat. That's going to be up. Well, she'd win that hands down. I don't know. Jeff Jackson's on the come Jeff, up. Jeff Jackson. <laughs> We're going to make a phone call in, tell him we'll start, you know, getting some flyers printed up. Should we talk a little North Carolina politics? You guys people can go don't know Jeff Jackson. <clears throat> I don't. I don't really reside in North Carolina anymore, so oh, more of a either. more of a Matt Gates kind of guy myself. But uh, Garrison is a Rubio constituent, so oh yeah, my I got the two greatest senators on this planet. <laughs> <laughs> Hold you accountable for Rubio from here on out. So. Um, it's your fault. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Dad, uh, I don't even when's know. He, when's the seat up? Do we know? He's next, um, this next coming. Yeah, it's coming. All right, nobody will, beat, nobody will beat him, though. He's, I mean, who's going to run against him? They're, They're talking about primary him with Ivanka. I'm, I'm dead ass. It is, oh, it is Fox Christ. News interview with Chris Wallace. You know, Marco, like the, the moment where he like had the parched mouth, he like reaching for his water. You could see him in the <sighs> interview. They go, uh, Do you have any concerns about Ivanka running? He goes, I, 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 Ivanka's great. I've worked with her many times. <laughs> Every time I think like the GOP has screwed themselves enough to have to go through some type of like blood cleansing ritual, they just find a way to become like even more evil. I just so how does Laura how's Laura Trump got North Carolina? I just don't understand how she's even like they probably to... have like a property there at the Biltmore or something in that. We reside the there Biltmore. six months and one day out of the year. So 
that makes me a North Carolina resident? Well, Jeff Jackson, big fan. He's where's, a state where's senator. Where's Jeff Jackson from? State senator. Okay. Charlotte. Charlotte. Yeah. Okay, liberal. Um, former U.S. soldier, currently in the reserves. He was actually, and he was reelected this year. In the like, in the middle of his reelection, was called for service, and his wife had to continue his campaign, um, and he won. Um, legislation was the consent withdrawal bill. North Carolina was the only state that you couldn't withdraw consent during sex. Uh, oh, okay. So I remember Jeff this. Jackson yeah. pushed for that, and with the Republican state Senate and Republican state yeah. House, he got that passed. It's impressive, yeah. dude. We've yeah. got a. He's younger. I don't know exactly how old he is. Probably early forties, I think. That maybe early or late thirties. But you know, eighteen years in the service. He's got a credible record. He's family. You know. The legislation to run on logan did you watch his uh, campaign announcement video no i had like 50 people texting me i was like all right i'm, I'm good on my <laughs> jeff jackson for the day <laughs> i did i did I watch the it. video it was uh i mean it was like one of those like he recorded it himself like to make it look like like a vlog style with his family and like his kids he's got three three kids i mean i think i i think he has he's like a better cal cunningham so he's still still so no, like a no white dick guy picks. Yeah, hopefully no dick pigs. No cheating um, on the wife. Until two months before the election. Uh, so he's still like, you know, he still is a white guy, service member, whatever. So a lot of parallels to Cal Cunningham. But I think he has, he's a lot, like a, has more liberal policies than a Cal Cunningham. And, you know, he just seems, he's more engaging, I think. Like, I think he's much more appealing than a Cal Cunningham. Oh, Cal, Cal always seemed like a robot to me, man. Yeah. Um, and this, I think this guy seems a lot more genuine, a lot more... You know, he's got the record. He feels uh, a lot more entrenched in like the North Carolina Democratic Party as well. I met Cal at a local Democratic event and it just felt like, okay, they're bringing in this outsider who happens to have a good resume. Oh, yeah, yeah. Jeff Jackson feels like a North Carolina Democrat. Uh, in kind like of he was groomed for it. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel, I feel good about his campaign. Now we'll see. I mean, there's still plenty of time for other Democrats to announce. And then, of course, whoever would run for the Republican seat or for the republican primary but i mean i am happy with jeff i've jeff jackson was my senator i would feel good about that let's just talk about the legality of richard burr not being charged for insider trading after dumping hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of stock after getting a top secret briefing on covid yeah and that was purposeful by the doj they dropped those charges so that in order for them to be charged they would have to be brought again by a biden doj and start Do a whole but, but the visual of a uh, biden doj doing that is that they're oh they're trying to hunt down republicans and it's to force their hand so so wait two years and then do it i don't know maybe yeah, three well, we let's wait till after midterms right well we also that's gotta a good check, point gotta check that statute of limitations <laughs> Does a does Attorney General Dickerson prosecute Barr? <laughs> I don't think there's any way you can, man. I mean, the only way that wasn't done is because one, it was Trump, and two, he probably called in some favors. But there's, I mean, that's just like her, him, and Loeffler, dude. Mm -hmm. I mean, you do that on Wall Street, you're getting arrested. Like if you went to a a meeting with like top banks and then left and dump your half of your portfolio, you're gonna get arrested. Well, and I think the other thing is like, we know Richard Burr's not running again, which might also be kind of this trade-off of like, hey, like if he was running again, That's he might true. have a different situation. So just He's like a white person, again. golden parachute. Yeah. So I'm not, I don't think he's going to, I don't think, uh, I don't think uh, the DOJ 
brings back the charges or anything. I mean, he's he's not going to run again. They'll probably just let him fade into. Fun fact: uh, Burr spoke at my graduation. That's horrible. Slept through the whole thing. <laughs> oh yeah, he was your commencement speaker. Slept through the whole thing. Damn, sunglasses that's, on. That's miserable. Know. Better than Macquarie getting protested at GPAC, canceling your visit. Who did that? Okay, so that's our. Uh, what do we do? Do we? What's what's been going on this week? So we've had what main thing? Uh, so my headline of the week is "I've said goodbye to normal. You should too." By uh, Roy uh, Scranton, he's the director of the Environmental Humanities Initiative at Notre Dame. What stood out to me about the article was uh, I've been doing my best not to like add meaning into COVID. There's what do you mean a philosopher. By that? So uh, there's a philosopher, Slavoj Zizek, who talks about, like, we're all really tempted to immediately cast our own interpretation of what COVID is. Like, COVID is a failure of conservative policies, or uh, COVID was caused by environmental degradation, or COVID is a a byproduct of globalism if you're a more right-wing person. So, like, trying your best to avoid that, and, like, Zizek reminds us, like, a virus is, like, a very dumb thing that can only self-replicate and has no purpose or meaning. And so I've been trying to do that. But what this article did was instead of saying like, okay, uh, COVID is because of this thing or, or COVID it means this, it just put COVID in context of all the other environmental disasters that happened in 2020. Hottest record on year, the Australia wildfires were 70 years ahead on polar ice cap melting oh of schedule. Uh, and and uh, record year for hurricanes on the Atlantic seaboard. So the, the article is just a warning of like, okay, there's all this talk about new normal. There's all, you know, anyone who's heard the cliche of we're never getting back to how it was. Uh, this article says, well, well, yeah, but the reason is that these disasters are just going to keep compounding and every step forward we take needs to take into consideration that these systems, these lives we built are because of dependable geography and that's just not a thing anymore so i've said goodbye to normal you should too <laughs> that was good <laughs> that should be there like facebook live video whenever you're like scrolling down your feed okay so you can always count on me for trash this one's but also good. this one relates to politics so I don't feel this is tmz full tmz oh, this is solid all right and i did some tiktok research after, after i shared it with you guys earlier you found the so pics I'm prepared i'm ready Oh, no, I didn't find the pics. I don't want to see the pics. I don't think you can get them anyways. Google would probably shut those down pretty quick. Um, the headline, Kellyanne Conway's Twitter account posted a nude photo of her underage daughter. Twitter won't say if it's banning her. So on Twitter, Kellyanne Conway's Twitter account posted, so you know you can do Twitter stories now. I don't know what they're called. Fleets. Oh, fleets. Oof. So she posted a fleet of a nude photo of her daughter. It was, you know, taken down, obviously. Many people, like many people, called for you know Kelly and Conway to be not only banned from Twitter, but like child pornography charges, those kinds mm-hmm. of things. Um, her daughter, her name is Claudia. Um, she is she's made like she's been trending on Twitter before, like in the past, because on she's you know she's like sixteen, I think. So she's big on TikTok, and she very much opposes her mom's political views. Um, so she gets you know headlines for when she you know talks shit about when when Trump was in office, the Trump administration, or when Kellyanne Conway got COVID, she was she posted something like, "You like fuckers, you need to realize that like this is real and you need to wear a mask and those kinds of things." So she's 
much more liberal than her mother. And she's also posted stuff about her mother, her and her mom's relationship. Well, it seems pretty strange. She posted a series of videos of like her, I guess her, her mom didn't know she was recording, but like her mom like yelling at her. Oh, it's like toxic, dude. The relationship's like yeah. real toxic. So they, they don't right. have a good relationship at all, which, so then when this like video or when the p- picture was posted, I also found in my digging, um, one of her friends was like on FaceTime with her and that had like meter, like, I don't know, I guess they FaceTime so that the friend could hear what her mom was saying, but like nobody knew that they were on FaceTime. And it's like cops are at the Conway's house because the mom, Kelly and had called the cops and they're trying to like get the daughter arrested. And the daughter's like, you Whoa. posted these pictures and da, da, da. And at least in the clips that I saw or listened to, I mean, Kellyanne never like denies, but never says that she did. So unclear like who posted the pictures. I mean, it could have been the daughter who, on her mom's account just to, for attention. It could have been the mom, you know, could have been Kellyanne doing it just to, for a reason that, you know, they seem to already have a toxic relationship. It could have been, a, you know, outside party, third party that just hacked into their accounts and posted it. So here, but, here's, here's the, the twist is, is that the photo that was put up on her account was taken off another phone. So it's like a photo of a phone with like the picture pulled up on the screen. So Claudia is saying that she got her phone taken away for getting in trouble multiple times by Kellyanne. And the picture itself is of another phone. So it looks like, literally looks like Kellyanne just pulled it up on her daughter's phone and then took a picture of it with her phone. So it's like, yeah, okay, like you could have been hacked, but that's like, that mm. those kind of photos are so specific in the 21st century it's like mm. where's george well, at where, where's george at I'm like, georgia, Low, georgia's at. <laughs> and, i mean and the thing is like i mean and if that's true maybe kellyanne posted it but accidentally you know like maybe uh, who the like, fuck accident? accident come on now bro uh, a fleet I, too? I don't even know how to post a flea like <laughs> <laughs> you gonna tell so me Kellyanne figured it out? I'm not here to. I'm not here to point fingers. I'm here. I'm to pointing fingers. I'm here to share the story for everyone. She did like in the past. She had posted a video saying like, if I'm ever saying I'm gonna take a break from social media or whatever, like that's not me. I'm being forced to say that. And then after all this has happened, she posted a video saying she's taking a break from social media, and that her and her mom, like, well, they do have a troubled relationship. They are mother and daughter. Da, da, da. So. Oh man, that sounds like a lot of toxicity, bro. Yeah, I mean, I think bottom line is very obviously have a toxic relationship um, for various reasons, but probably because your mother crowned the term alternative facts. Yeah, I mean, maybe we'll get a a Conway uh, banned on Twitter too. It's a good thing Republicans are the party of family values. Right. Uh, The My Pillow guy, he got banned. That's right. Peddling false conspiracy theories. Get him out of here. Yeah. And the, so uh, uh, this is like a, a funny tidbit on that. So he got he got banned on Twitter and then he's been removed from a couple stores, like mainly like Bed Bath and I think Kohl's. And uh, the media questioned Bed Bath and Beyond about it. Like, oh, was this in response to, uh, you know, his meeting with Trump or the stuff he said on social media? And Bed Bath just released like a couple of sentences. I was like, no, this is just an evaluation of our underperforming objects in the store that need to be cleared. <laughs> That's so disrespectful. <laughs> well, Look, that'll hurt him more than the deplatforming. Like his pillows. Oh are right, yeah, that's bottom bottom line, it. man. Yeah, yeah. going to go broke right here in your home state of Minnesota. <laughs> Funny. Okay, my headline is, and this kind of relates to how we were talking about everything is just like high school. This goes to show you that even on the globalism, international politics, everything's still high school. 
Headline is U.S. Embassy reacts to rumors following Biden removing Churchill bus from Oval Office. Please tell me you saw the video. Uh, <laughs> so for those that don't know, Churchill was a prime minister of the United Kingdom during World War II. Him and uh, FDR had quite a relationship. Um, he's, he's highly respected in British culture. And I think a lot of politically knowledgeable people in general um, respect him. He's got a lot of movies and books written after him, such and such. The U.S. and the U.K. have always had a, uh, a very beneficial relationship, mutually beneficial relationship. To me, it's just so trivial. I, th I think, you know, it's, it's pretty common whenever a new president comes into the Oval that they redecorate uh, some things they may not remove. But for the most part, they have freedom to do whatever they want to in their workspace. So I guess uh, Winston Churchill bus got removed and they brought some others in, civil rights leaders and, and things like that. So what I, what I love about it is like the right wingers who are complaining are so they're so insecure because they know Winston was like an imperialist and super racist and he did, he did great things for Brit for some Britons too, but it's just a uh, different time period, just but the, it's like, they're so insecure. It's like, Oh, you're removing Winston. How could you? It's like, oh, it's not even about that dog. You're no, showing your true color. So the, well, so, also, why would we be mad? He's not American. Like, it's no, not American. So what, what ended up happening is rumors spread in the British media that because Biden had now taken office and that because Boris Johnson, the prime minister currently of the United Kingdom, because he is more relatable to what Trump was than what necessarily Biden is, that they were saying that Biden's doing that as a snub towards Boris Johnson, throwing the entire UK-US relationship down the drain. And I think it was a really classy response by the US embassy in London, I believe, that said uh, basically that the, the US-UK relationship is way more expansive and diverse than just a bus and just left it at that. I mean, yeah. it was nothing that that's why I chose it. It's to me, cause it, it was, it's such, such gossip, like drama headline, you know, just clickbait almost, but that was just hilarious to me. You know, like if, imagine the aide having to type that up or deliver that information and be like, dude, you've, you've made it to the white house and I'm having to deal with somebody butthurt that we took a Winston Churchill. I bet you did, but they didn't even know there was a Winston Churchill bust even in the Oval office to begin with until it got removed. But, I'm sure there are mm, plenty of Republicans that don't even know who Winston Churchill is. So oh no, Rand Paul's losing his shit, that's, man. That's not constitutional to take Winston Churchill, a United oh, Kingdom boy. citizen, out of the Oval Office of America. That's unconstitutional. It just is so funny to me that like so many, like I can maybe understand like if, some Brits were like, oh, I mean, I still think it's stupid, but like, I think that's a more valuable argument than like Republicans here that are like so upset about it. I'm like, hey, he's not even like, when, like whatever, we can debate with Churchill's history. We can acknowledge that he was very instrumental in World War II, but like, he's not American. Like, what, why would he be? We fought for independence against this right. country. Why would he be in the White House anyway? Right. <laughs> like, the fact that he was even there is like, okay, like, whatever. and if you look at but, when he was in power compared to how long our relationship with the United Kingdom has been, there's mm -hmm. been so much more fundamental progress made when he's not, when he's been long dead. You know what I mean? Like coming out of World War II, that was huge, but Britain was also like in shambles and didn't really know what to do. So we had to help Britain out a lot, you know, and that gave us a good little footprint in Europe. But that relationship is in no way tied to Winston Churchill. So it's just, you know, just complete pettiness. Let's also highlight how, so, but watch the, the Republican strategy over the next four years. If you're not crying about the national debt, they're just going to try to bring attention to any little thing they can to try to stop progress by any means necessary. They so just don't are. fall for it. Exactly. They already are with the stimulus bill. They had the joint meeting that uh, Joe Manchin 
held about the new stimulus package. Fucking mansion, bro. And the I... Republicans <clears throat> and the Republicans in the room were like, I think uh, Romney was alarmed by the the number, how expensive the package was, and Collins was concerned. Like we're right back to yep. suddenly. We care about costs. And the thing is, these Republicans are not going to go through and they're not going to give solutions, right? If the, what is it? Like, mm. it's like a 1.2 something trillion bill. Okay, if you're, so if you're concerned about money, what should we cut? But no one's going to get up, you know, Romney's not going to get up and say, let's cut unemployment, right. insurance, let's cut the stimulus. No, they Mitch does that behind closed doors. But, no, but none of them are going to stand up on the Senate floor and say that because it's, right. it's such a popular bill that no one's going to want to hear it. So they're just going to genu- generally say, oh, well, 1.2 trillion however much it is something trillion i think it's 1.9 1.9 trillion is That's too all. much and we didn't hear any of that the nope. last four years but i mean now they, that biden's in office the republican right minority is is just textbook obstructionist and they've done that since 2008 when mcconnell said i'm, I'm not going to let a black president get anything done basically so or when democrats do it you know it, it's socialism, but when Republicans do it, it's populism. Right. It's doing what, what the people want. Right. Okay, which way is it? Do the people want socialism? <laughs> or do they want populism? Maybe you got 50% who want both, and that's why we're headed towards a civil war. The thing I can't stand about impeachment is it's like anyone who knows politics at all knows that anything that is so publicly displayed is just theater. And like, it's almost the same thing with like inauguration. Like we all know inauguration doesn't, doesn't really matter except for its symbolic power. Like we get to see the transition of power happen. Right. It's America's like one great contribution to the history of democracy. Right. Um, and we get to watch that happen. And so it's like symbolically important, but like with this next impeachment, like, man, I have no energy around it. And mm. I don't think y'all do either from talking no. to you. Because all we're going to get is the theater, and the theater is not even going to have a powerful impact. It's 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 just going to happen. Worth the shit, dude. Both yeah. sides are going to retreat and complain, and we're going to have to hear about it from our liberal friends. We're going to have to hear about it from the Republicans, and I don't know, man. I'm I'm really over it. I wish they hadn't done it. I wish I wish there was another way that we could keep Trump from running or from trying to keep Trump from running. But no, I don't. Nothing will happen. It's he's not going to get convicted. So yeah, so clearly they don't clearly they don't have the votes. Um, as we kind of found out today, I mean, I was going to be very surprised if they were able to find 17 votes somewhere. You know, they just like again, Republicans just stick together way better than the left does when it comes to voting, especially. Here's the question, and I'll, and I'll toss this to you, Jordan. Um, do you think doing an impeachment again the second time, or kind of in general the impeachment during Trump's term, the two impeachments, do you think it has degraded or hurt impeachment long-term so you know either a couple of administrations from now 50 60 years from now we got to use this tool because i feel like the theme that i get with the second one is nobody is taking this serious this is like you said it's just all theater and it's just like half-assed you know barely put on theater so i really think that this could hold consequences for the tool of impeachment long-term okay i'm excited because i get to be the optimist this time i was a pessimist last week um, no, I don't think this degrades the institution of impeachment. I, and I, I am someone that, while I don't think conviction will happen, I think it was really important for them to impeach, at least put the articles through and impeach him. And I think this, maybe not in the short term, but long term, I think it was the right decision. Um, I think history 
usually does usually um, if told correctly, it does a good job of identifying where people were wrong and where people were right. Particularly this impeachment. I mean, it was clear he you know incited an insurrection against the country in which he was the sitting president, um, for, in because of an election that he clearly lost and he didn't want to accept the results. And I think an impeachment was necessary, regardless if he gets convicted or not. Um, I think the precedent is important that we set that you know impeachment needs you know, if you do this, you will get impeached. And I think that's going to carry through history. Even the first impeachment, I think, was a valid claim and think, and I think that it should have been done. I think the, the Democrats were correct in doing it. And the fact that he was not convicted or, or and removed in either impeachment will come down on Republicans. And I think, you know, history is not, I think, and I hope that history will not be kind to Republicans. Yeah. Um, you know, 40, 50 years from now, I think, and I hope that we look back and say, you know, look, these people allowed Trumpism because, you know, even though Trump is gone, it, Trumpism is going nowhere. We allowed mm. this to rise. We allowed this nationalist white supremacist fever to go through society because no one wanted to hold this guy accountable. And this is what happens when you don't do that. So I don't think impeachment has been hurt. Like the institution and the process of impeachment, I think is still very valid. And I think it's uh, important that the Democrats impeach him both times. I think it does send a signal, and I think Republicans' failure to respond to that to respond to that is going to reflect in history. I think we will look back and, and and see this, particularly, you know, depending on what happens in the next four years. Hmm. Um, I think all of us would agree that you know, we're, Trumpism is here to stay, at least in the short term, and you know, that's going to hurt the modern Republican Party. Yeah. And we'll be able, hopefully, we can look back at this 30 years from now and be like, yeah, the, the Republican Party we know now failed because they didn't stand up at this point. Hmm. Yeah, and that's kind of, like, I, I don't disagree with them doing impeachment. And, and I think Nancy's taken that same position that you stated as well, that even though that, you know, it's not likely that he gets actually in, that he actually gets removed or banned from office, it's the fact that they have a constitutional duty to do and they have to go through with that. So I do think there is some sim you know, symbolism to that, but I just worry about the way that, you know, right-wing media or right-wing politicians are going to take this and run with it and just make it, you know, completely from not what it is. And, you know, I don't, I don't know, maybe when they start the trial and, you know, we get to start pulling band-aids off wounds of what occurred on January 6th and, you know, we get to see some more of that footage and bring it to the surface. I don't know, man, maybe you'll evoke some emotion amongst all those old geezers up in, in Capitol Hill, you know, maybe, I don't know. Like you said, the one of the few things that's kind of kept me sane for the long term is is to think that eventually these people will have to answer to history. Like eventually, whether it's 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, you will be embarrassed to say that, you know, you're an avid Trump supporter, you know, you know somebody huge like that. So I don't know, that's what I try to hold on to, man. But I think it's important to point out, too, is that most Republicans, no one, they're not saying that insurrection is not an impeachable offense. They're saying that he's out of office and this is just gonna cause more divisiveness, right? So they're they're just trying to, to shade away from the actual problem, right? No one's saying that what he did isn't impeachable. They're saying, oh, well, he's out of office, we shouldn't deal with it. And I think that's really telling as well. They all know that what he did was wrong and impeachable mm. and that he needs to be held accountable, but they don't wanna, they individually don't wanna you know, be the one to hold him accountable because they're afraid of a primary challenger. And I think yeah. if we like believe them on their argument, we can actually grant like part of that. Like I, I think I think even as someone who would like to see Trump convicted, 
we can say that it is divisive. I mean, I, I, I'm willing to say it is disunifying. It goes against, you know, Biden's idea of this sort of like pluralistic society where we just move on from these things. But, but at the same time, it's like what, what Republican voters are understanding is that Democrats understand it's divisive, but we understand the divisiveness is worth it for justice, that justice is worth uh, a little disunity. Um, and and that, I guess that's what's so upsetting is it's just a, it's just a mismatch in the moral compasses. And, and I guess if I have one bright spot, I am looking forward to hearing what Warnock says on the floor. I think if any Democrat can articulate the moral, the ethical, the long-term historical trajectory uh, in a way that doesn't just come off like uh, political gamesmanship, it would, it would be Warnock. So I don't know. I wish I could be more optimistic like you, Jordan. I just, I just feel like um, at this point, it's just going to waste everyone's time. Well, and I agree. I don't think I don't think we get a conviction. I do think it's not going to be like in the short term very beneficial, but I think long term this was the right decision. It's interesting you say like a differences in moral compasses on there because I mean I just feel like if Trump was still in office, there would just there would be some other excuse of why he exactly. can't be impeached. So I mean it's like yeah, it's a difference in moral compass, but at the end of the day, I mean literally all you're trying to do is stop any type of change, like any type of advancement for like everyday of people you know well because they know they know that they don't want to lose a primary and they know that trump supporters and you know as long as trump is around or trumpism exists that they're gonna have that's gonna be republicans like mcconnell or rom you know maybe republicans be considered to be more traditional republicans um if they fall out of line with trumpism well then they're gonna get a they will get a, a primary challenger and they want to stay in office and they're not willing to stand up to that, um, to stand up for what's right, because they don't want to, they're concerned about losing a primary. Did you see Mitch voted with Rand too? Mm -hmm. After saying that he wouldn't, he wasn't sure how he'd vote in an impeachment and he votes that it's not even constitutional to begin with. Oh, I just, I can't deal with all you little Nazis, brother. Just they're too orderly. They're too loyal to each other. It's very frustrating. What do Freeman say? Democrats are the party of no ideas and Republicans are the party of bad ideas. I think Democrats are the party of too many ideas. Think so? I think Republic. I think the problem with Republicans is they're, or the problem with Democrats is that they can't get on the same page. Like, I think Republicans. You know, we've got Trumpist Republicans. We've got traditional Republicans, but they can still get on the same page True. to get somewhere. Democrats. We've got, we've got Joe Manchin, and we've got Bernie Sanders, and we've got, right. you know, we've got such a spectrum. And they can't get on the same page. Right. Whereas what one thing Republicans can do well is they can get on the same page and advance some kind of agenda. Um, whereas Democrats have a harder time doing yeah, that. So, and what's frustrating too about this coming from like a, a political science side of things is the way that Republicans do it is through fear mongering. So they just mm -hmm. create a common enemy and get everybody on their side to rally behind that common enemy. Um, whereas on the left, it's, fundamentally different things you have joe manchin who doesn't believe in universal health care and then you've got bernie sanders and aoc who believe in universal health care so it's just i mean you're not gonna you can't really you can be like oh look big farmers your enemy but big pharma also runs the government so that's not really an easy enemy to create but you can have republicans just say it's the mexicans fault so you know focus on the mexicans and that's somebody physically they can see in the street like hey yeah you mexican you know you're the reason i'd make 725 an hour not my congressman so that's just a little frustrating you know the, the ways the tools that they use and things like that it's like you said I just, I just really hope history judges them in the end man you know whether this empire still stands or not i just hope it's recorded you know the, the 
the path that they took that really is not righteous in any way. So Biden's off to a hot start. He's trying to pass one executive order for every year how old he is. <laughs> 78. I don't, know, I don't know how you guys kind of want to do this. I'll just maybe highlight a couple. Um, so, I mean, I would like to probably talk about a couple that are my favorite because I do think that he's, he's passed some pretty, um, pretty influential ones that I didn't really see coming. Um, but just to name a few big ones here. On uh, day one, he rejoined the Paris Climate Agreement, who uh, Ted Cruz actually thinks benefits the citizens of Paris. Um, <laughs> I think today he signed an executive order that promotes racial equity. Um, and calls on all federal departments or survey or do research to make sure that there's no underlying issues, I guess, underneath statistically why I speak and make sure everybody's getting a fair chance and stuff. Well, yeah, and that's just to tag onto that is because the Trump administration passed an executive order that, you know, got rid of diversity training and diversity mm. initiatives within these different departments of the government. And this is Biden's way of trying to reverse that. Uh, he passed one stating that masks have to be worn on federal property, canceled the Keystone XL pipeline. We've been fighting for a long time for that one. Yeah, so that's um, that one's, you know, whatever the negative criticism is about it, that, that one feels good. That one feels like something that was maybe like a, one of the first big movements that our generation kind of got behind. Um, and I think that because it not only was a climate issue, but it was also a, a nativist issue or a Native American issue that I think it really did a lot for our generation who used that movement to kind of become, to get educated on activism and stuff like that, to also pay attention to minority groups. And just because something doesn't affect you as a white American or black American or Asian American, whatever, it may affect, you know, some type of minority out there. Um, so that one feels good, man. To finally see that one finally die. I know Canada's not too happy about that from a business standpoint, but go fuck yourself. We only have one planet. So Muslim ban. So we no longer yet. So we got rid that's, of that shit. That's a, that's a huge, huge one. Uh, he strengthened DACA too. So I don't know if it's an executive order, but the transgender military. So that was an executive order as well. Yeah. So yeah. he did that. Uh, domestic drilling overall, right? on federal lands yes um, i think that's been suspended that's been suspended yeah oh i know a big one actually this is one of my favorites uh he came out today and told all federal prisons that they are no longer allowed to re-up their private prison contracts so he's going to start phasing out the prison industrial complex important caveat to that is that that does not apply to ice Ooh. only only uh prisons so not not detention centers detention so centers. ice so ICE is still, um, which is, and ICE holds more private contracts than the Bureau of Prisons. Yikes. So important, that's an important caveat because I've, I've seen that. Obviously, the executive order is good. This is a step in the right direction. God, it's important to, it's important to it. point out that ICE detention facilities were not included in that. So private prisons aren't good enough for Americans, but we can keep the... No, because think about it from a business standpoint, man. If you see those caravans moving across like Honduras and shit, the first thing you're thinking is, oh my God, dollar signs, come to me, baby. Well, and, and because the narrative around people who cross the border... I, I, I think the other thing to point out is these aren't just people that, you know, maybe illegally cross the border. These are also people who are trying to seek asylum, which is a legal way to enter the country. They're people who have arrived at the border, whether it be at a checkpoint so like at a point where someone could claim asylum 
or if they are crossing an illegal border entry, another caveat is you can cross into the United States. You have a year of being in the United States to claim asylum, pointing that out. Those, I, I guess because we, the narrative around people who are immigrants, um, particularly at our Southern border is so terrible that we allow them to live in even, I mean, obviously our prison system is already messed up and people that are incarcerated live in abysmal conditions, but those that are in immigration detention dis- oh, uh, detention centers are even worse. Right. Um, mm. You know, they well, and look at some of the stuff that came out during the Trump administration. I mean, you were talking about human rights violations. Oh, One yeah. porta potty per hundred acres. Yeah. Or like the oh, shit yeah. that came out about them yeah. removing uteruses and like, bro, like any other country you'd have been hauled before the ICJ. I mean, the criminal justice system is fucked up and I could go on and on about that, but the immigration system is so like, so messed up and so convoluted and there's no, like so much impact from just who's in office and what the priority is versus at least the criminal justice system kind of has some set standards, right? It's very entrenched. So it's hard to kind of fundamentally shift Mm -hmm. the criminal justice, but immigration i mean it can change it's well, a whole time. episode we, right, should, yeah. we should tackle that that'd be dope yeah. or even a series of, of, of so i did the immigration clinic at uva for a year where i did asylum cases and then i also took u.s refugee and asylum law and i have never in my life been so frustrated than reading those cases i mean again like not to i mean the criminal justice system has issues but the immigration system is just so broken and in such dire need of reform I mean, people who have put in for visas for their sisters to come over from Mexico and they put it in in 98 are still waiting. Like they're still on a waiting list for that. Th- those people could be dead by now. You know, like it's just. And now you see why people just say fuck wild. it and jump the fence. Well, and, I, and again, it's important to point out under U.S. law, you have a year from the time you cross into the United States to claim asylum. Mm-hmm. Right. There's no you don't have to claim it at a port of entry. You have but depending to... on who's president at the time can change what the definition of asylum is. Oh, yeah. And then technically, you're supposed to wait for your asylum proceedings in the U.S. But under the Trump administration, they were forcing people to wait. You remain Mexico. in Mexico yeah. where they were getting kidnapped, where they were getting assaulted and raped yeah. and killed. Yeah. Um, and that violates international law. OK, I'm not going to get into it. because So. Yeah, but, ju- yeah, just as like a just a slight <laughs> follow up to that, just to kind of hit on something I thought was interesting, the whole the whole thing like when during the Trump administration was like a year or so ago when the caravans started moving up and national media focused on it for like a few months. What was interesting to me is that obviously we didn't have the right person in office, but really none of the rhetoric coming from the media or politicians was, "Hey, we should focus on what is going wrong in the countries they're fleeing from," right? And so, I mean, that could be a rabbit hole. You could get yourself back involved, like in a Middle East scenario where you're just trying to fund and build democracies in this country where it's just not going to work. What I don't think is a sustainable strategy, though, is to overhaul your immigration system to take in all these people while not addressing the root cause of why these people are fleeing in the first place. And I believe that in the Biden administration that when he talked about his immigration, I think I heard his press secretary actually say this on her first day, that that was going to be one of their bullet points was to focus on the root causes of why these people are fleeing in the first place. Because unless you stop the problem, these people are just going to keep just keep coming. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like you should absolutely know some of these stories are horrendous. I mean, they're absolutely like war zones that these people are, are fleeing from. They should be able to come here and claim asylum. But it's still at the same time, you have to eventually tell yourself or look at another sovereign nation and be like, dude, you got to get your shit together 
And if you need help to get it done, that's fine. But you have got to solve the shit. You can't just have your population fleeing every two or three years. It's just not going to be sustainable on, on local economies. So that was the first time that I can remember that I've actually heard rhetoric coming out of, you know, leadership or, or politicians mouth that finally looked at, well, maybe, Hey, we should look at getting aid or getting, you know, stuff down into these countries where these people are fleeing in the first place. But, you know, well, and I, I think it's also important to point out that most people I think it's like 54 or 58% of people who are illegally residing in the United States are here from overstayed visas, not yeah. from crossing the border illegally. Right. So, I mean, if you, if the problem is, if, if, you know, Republicans were so concerned about people here illegally, right, then we should be looking at the visa system. We should be looking at, you know, once someone enters the country on a legal visa, their visa expires. Okay, so what's the process for that person either renewing their visa or ensuring that that person then leaves if they're here on like a tourist visa, for instance, or, you know, like that is where more people who are illegally here in the country are not from crossing the southern border. And I think you're saying you're 100% right. I and mean, the people fleeing are, you know, the, the bulk of people coming are, you know, from Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador, they're fleeing gang violence um, because the gangs have essentially taken over those countries and they're policing and all of that so yeah essentially like, we, like those state that, almost. They need help. yeah, yeah. Like, unless we're going to address those underlying gang issues and we're going to have we're going to continue to have people fleeing up here and i guess if we're going to talk about root causes i mean it, it's just like the black lives matter movement this summer people realizing the extent to which america has been built on on black lives on 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 the bodies and, and the sweat and the blood of black people if we're going to talk about root causes, we're going to have to address America playing empire in Central and South America for oh, the yeah. past hundred plus years. I mean, a couple of the countries you listed, uh, uh, El Salvador, Nicaragua, those were direct U.S. involvement, but we can't even begin to talk about the indirect U.S. <laughs> involvement in all of the others. And so, you know, this is global inequality. This is poverty in the global South. This is uh, implicit racism dating back as long as Western civilizations have been invading the Western hemisphere. I, I don't know. It's um, it, the root causes are important, but I think we're like just beginning to even think about the extent to which we played the 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 causal role in this. And and Europe's having to go through the same thing with Syrian refugees, with Libyan refugees, um, understanding that that they have created this situation oh, yeah. or are living in poverty and being murdered by gangs which have accumulated the small amount of resources in the country yep and for those and who you, may not know if you want to give them an intro into our short intro just let them know what american colonialism in south america we're just gonna have to like. do an episode on american <laughs> colonialism. So just, i mean it's sure. too much a part of who we are right a, a book i would suggest to people who are like just hearing this the first time is uh the imperial cruise um, I can't remember the author right now, but it, it talks about the idea of Western expansion. And we all know the way we're taught manifest destiny in school isn't correct. It was actually a brutal program of suppression, rape, and murder. But it, a lot of people don't realize like manifest destiny wasn't go to California. It was this whole theory about how uh, knowledge always spreads West throughout history. And America needs to keep spreading West. And it's the reason we conquered the Philippines. Mm. I mean, it didn't stop at California. It was, it was supposed to be a whole global movement. And fortunately well, it wasn't. But. And under, so uh, you're saying America was like the Nazis. I'm saying uh, <laughs> that's another episode. <laughs> and just under the, I mean, we had under the Monroe doctrine that essentially 
we the U.S. We as the U.S. we said, so hey, we're going to take. Well, we said, hey, we're going to take care of the Western Hemisphere. Europe, stay out of it. Like I'm your daddy now. Yeah, like, and that I mean that was the the lead into us, you know, in the Philippines and the Caribbean and Latin and Central America, South America. It was, hey, this is our domain. Yep. Stay out of it. And we just moved into it. And I just, I don't know, like when I was in the clinic and my clients, I would, ha- I would have out of, you know, Honduras or whatever. And you hear these stories of like what these people have been through. And it's not like some 20 year old guy coming to like get a good job. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and not that that's not a valid claim. Like I, that's a separate discussion, but my clients are people that were, are, you know, overwhelmingly women, overwhelmingly people who have been sexually assaulted, assault mentally abused physically abused from age you know as a child and had one that was just kidnapped multiple times by the same guy their kids are being like they're being threatened the gangs are threatening to kill them and their families and their children and it's just they have to leave because there's no other option and i just always think like when i hear people that are like well they should come and different try to get a visa or whatever i'm like you know if someone came and said hey if you don't give us you know a thousand dollars we're gonna kill you and your whole family and while i'm here let me like rape your daughter and then right you know like what would you do like you're gonna be worried about a visa yeah like are you do you think you got time to wait 10 years for a visa from the u.s you don't have time to wait for that like it's just i don't know it's just so frustrating when you like i I hear these kind stories and it's like what do people think of these do you would you most people don't want to leave their home right i think that's a and i think a big thing with immigration with immigration too is i feel like there's a lot while it is like a hot button issue i feel like in general a lot of the american population has complete apathy towards it because it doesn't affect me unless i live in texas or new mexico or southern california it doesn't affect me i mean yeah we should probably you know put up a big wall and stop people from coming in here illegally but i don't ever have to see some poor family from honduras or guatemala and hear these kind of stories it doesn't affect me and that's an American privilege that we have, um, first world privilege that we have. And I don't know, man. That's... And we'll talk about that on our white privilege episode. White privilege but, episode. Uh, wow, we got a whole series coming. So what both of you were saying, though, and kind of going back to Biden's executive orders, it's like, I, I don't, I think you're probably, you were kind of feeling this too, Garrison. It's like, we're celebrating how far we've come. And it's definitely better than Trump. And, and it's, it's not even in the same universe as Trump. But there is a certain fizzle, you know, the, the F, the new FDR marketing is, is being felt when the problems are, are so deep and aren't being addressed in a way. I mean, Jordan, I didn't even know the ice camps were excluded. That's disgusting and disappointing. And they wouldn't want you to know that we, you know, I, I think all of us want more from Biden. So for our more liberal listeners, uh, don't, don't think we're, we're going to give Biden's administration a, a pass on these types of things. Yeah. And I think that's a huge, that's actually one thing that I was really looking forward to just to put this out here too, is I think we ended up like taking our break just because obviously it was a really busy time of the year for us, but I think we were just really just jaded, man. Like I was just tired of every week or every other day, there's some other bullshit that's going on. This dude has tweeted something out or fucked something up or made some dumbass decision, you know, or tried to stage an insurrection or whatever. And I was really looking forward to, you know, not only, the candidate that I like or the candidate that I pull for being in office, but also getting to see quote, you know, real politics and then getting to criticize and actually analyze real fucking politics. You know what I mean? Like, because I'm not, and I don't think any of us are, and this is something that I stress to people, even though that we may be, you know, 
left-leaning and we, you know, support democratic candidates. And that's, you know, if we had to pick, that's who we identify with, but I want to heartbeat criticize they live in shit out of the democratic party in any of their mm-hmm. candidates. It doesn't matter. So I think that was something that I was just really looking forward to is, is keeping the gas up and actually having something of substance to debate, not, Oh, yeah. Trump tweeted this or pissed this person off, but actually having a policy to debate and to hear things like, yeah, you know, that executive order was nice, but doesn't include ice. And here's all the bad shit that ice is doing. Like, that's actual real substantive complaints, you know, that, that you can have that show these are the next steps that we need to take, not just just theatrical crap that has been the last four years. So it's good to be back, baby. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, I'm sure we all like, we're maybe polling for different, you know, Dem candidates in the primary. Like, I think we, I mean, we might not have all like, we, I don't think the three of us are on the same page of like who we wanted to win or why we wanted to win or when they started to narrow down from there like I mean we I think the the good thing is we can criticize our own party um and I I mean Obama's a great example of that I mean I I mean I do I love Obama but there were things he did wrong like his Mm. his uh how the airstrikes in Syria his immigration policy which I think is extremely yeah, it's, it's ter- I mean, and that's so underplayed, particularly because Trump came right after him and mm-hmm. like Trump was god awful. But like, because he Trump was super awful, we downplay how Obama, the Obama administration treated immigration. Yeah, he deported more than any other president before him, didn't he? He deported. Yeah, I mean, and granted, like his folk, like he had a different focus in the Trump administration, but we can't, I can't criticize the Trump administration's handling of immigration without in good conscience criticizing the Obama administration. Right. So it's just, you know, I, I agreed. It's, and that's it's what nice you're to supposed to, like, to do. Yeah, like it's nice to be able to responsible constituent just like, to, to criticize even people that we like and, or, you know, that we voted for and try to hold them to a higher standard. Like that's what we're that's supposed to do. That's what a politician is. That is literally exactly what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to just blindly, you should criticize, you know, not every move they make. Like you said, if something's overwhelmingly good for the people and things like that, but I mean, you should question everything, man. Don't just go along for the ride. People get too comfortable. That's why nothing ends up getting done. Next thing you know, people have been up there for 30 years and they're just, you know, rowing the boat. So uh, I'll just say just as a, so my two executive orders I like, first one was the prisons, even though it didn't do anything about ICE, that fucking sucks. But baby steps, I guess, Jesus Christ, until millennials can get in power. Uh, Second one was as a part of his racial equity executive order, he attached, and I'm assuming Kamala had a lot to do with this, he attached a anti, anti-racism thing against Pacific Islanders and Asian Americans hmm. as a part of that too. That was like the, the last one that he passed. So I know Kamala probably had to be a you know, huge, obviously part of that, but I thought that was cool. That kind of shows, you know, Hey, like I'm here. And I think, I, th- I think in another idea for a future episode is kind of describe what we think her role eventually blossoms into or what she looks like. Cause right now I kind of just see her like in the background when he's signing stuff, you know, she's, see her on camera every now and then like swearing people in the senate and the cabinet members and such but i want to see like what kamala like becomes you know like who's vice president kamala you know like what do you do so i think that's kind of cool to you know we're a couple of weeks in but she's already you know showing her influence there so anybody else got specific ones they like I think my, I mean, I, think, I don't know if we're going to do our, our favorites, I feel weird to say, but Muslim ban, the reversal of the Muslim ban, I think is, is huge. And I, I mean, I, we knew that he was going to do that coming in, but I mean, Trump's Muslim ban was blatantly racist, blatantly xenophobic. I mean, the first two iterations of the Muslim ban was struck down, were struck down by the Supreme Court um, for being unconstitutional. Um, so it's just, it's, it's 
it feels good to have that gone um, because essentially by the time the third one came around, it was deemed constitutional. It was just because they knew how to word it in a way that they still got the same objective done, but in a sense that said like, oh no, we're not against Muslims. Yeah, like, so that the, you know, some of the the conservatives on the court were able to just kind of write off his rhetoric during the, during the election. And I mean, it was Justice Sotomayor that in her dissent in the third, uh, when the third Muslim bank came up that said like, we can't ignore the rhetoric. I mean, like mm. that's integral to what the policy was. Like he was planning this this whole time. So I just, that feels good to be gone. You know, people, particularly the Muslim ban in, you know, the Middle East, where we, we went out there as a country and like put these, con- these countries into shambles yep. and just, you know, for better or for worse, destroyed their governments and, you know, put these people into extreme poverty and dangerous situations. And then we're going to block them from trying to seek refuge. It's, egregious and i'm just glad that we're we're out of that we just sold the uh, saudis war weapons that they've used to commit genocide and war crimes against the yemenis so yeah and then we said oh sorry you can't come if you're from yemen yeah so just to explicitly state to uh islam is not fundamentally terroristic or does not produce terrorists terrorists and if you need any proof of that just look at all the white people in washington dc on january 6th so yes Sir, everything's making progress, and I think, like you said, we're we're debating how far things are going to fix the world situation, rather than how far things are going to uh, uh, lead us to doomsday. So, uh, I'm happy to be moving away from doomsday. Yeah, right. I mean, the Muslim ban is is exciting to me because of my academic studies um, mm. and my area of focus. I do a lot of studies on like comparative religion with Islam specifically. So last year I had a chance to attend some mosque services here in Winston and get to know the local Muslim community. So I'm happy for them. I'm, I'm just happy we're treating uh, people like like people, like people. Uh, no matter if their skin is brown or their religion is Islam. Right. Um, but kind of as like a closer in here, Biden did have a pretty good statement. I don't know if I can pull it up and find it or not, but um, I think he did a questioning or something like that. But can as you speak to that, we're, we're treating people like people again and not judging them, you know, based on skin color and stuff like that. He, um, he kind of sounded a little bit like Obama. I think somebody asked him a question about, you know, his hopefulness and his enthusiasm that things will get done and the country will get back on track. And, and he said that the young generation, the young people that I see in America are, are essentially the only thing that gives me hope because they're the most liberal and inclusive and don't care who you are. Like we're all in this together generation that he's ever seen. Like nobody that's come before him has, you know, taken it to that level. Everybody that's come before us has either been in a society of racism or in a society of capitalism on steroids, where it's like, you got to shit on the person beside you and have more things than they do. And I think our generation came to light, you know, and maybe expanded on the heavy movement a little bit comically, but they kind of be like, hey, man, all that's, you know, we don't have to be pissed at each other because you have a Mercedes and I have a Toyota and this all just kind of seems pointless. Let's just have fun and enjoy life. So yeah, I think he's done a really good job of so far holding on to that, being that bridge between the two generations. And I think is, if I were to put like one theme on his presidency that, that I really hope he walks away with, it would be that, that if, you know, if he ran on that, that I'm going to be the bridge that passes this on to the next generation. So I really hope he, he sticks to that and, and forces his party to stick to that. So.
just a general question for you guys because I think it's hard and I, I think we might all be in the same situation um but I think it's hard for me to gauge how politically aware um people our generation is um because when I look at my like friends that I have and whatever I feel like we're even people that like I just went to high school with that maybe didn't go to college or didn't pursue um, higher education just seem to be more politically engaged than I don't know the whole like you know young people don't vote that kind of stuff and so I guess my question is do you think that we are a more politically engaged generation for our age group so like us at 20, 25, mid twenties to early thirties, are we more politically aware and engaged than like maybe our parents were when they were 25 to 30? Well, I'll say only Garrison's in his, his late twenties. So I don't put that evil on us. He's a hurting baby. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it feels like our generation, everyone has a stake in the game. Hmm. I mean, I, I don't know if I engage sounds positive and a lot of people in our generation are like TikTok political. Yeah. But like everyone kind of has skin in it and be that because of student loans or um, because of growing racial equality that threatens their sense of whiteness or whatever it is, everyone's everyone's all in. I, I'd say you're totally right, Jordan. A lot of chips on the table from our generation. I think it's kind of like a multifaceted kind of thing. So like I would say use use engage carefully there if you mean by engaged if you mean voting no i guess but, i mean aware like aware. okay so yeah. i i think i think they're kind of to, to piggyback on logan a little bit i think one reason that we may be is because of the rise of social media and the internet keeps us a lot more you know i get my political news from snapchat or tiktok or you know whatever cbs and all every news outlet has an account um, but i think a, another part of it is because we're also the most educated generation that we have a basic, pretty much almost anybody you would speak to has a basic understanding of the last 60 or 70 years of American history, pretty much after World War II, for the most part, whether they, you know, know minor details or whatever, they know, hey, we beat racism with the civil rights movement, and then we had the great Reagan era, and then yada, yada, yada. But I think that we see that we have been doing things this way for several decades now, and it's getting worse. So then we need to try something else. So I think that's why we're so open to change and we're so liberal to change. Whereas like our, our parents' generation, our grandparents' generation is holding on to this, you know, America's great and we're on the throne and we worked hard to get here. Whereas our generation was born into this, like, you know, this great America, but it's like, mm, it's not really that great. And it's getting worse by doing what we've always been doing. So let's maybe change a couple of things. But I would agree overall that, yeah, we're, we're a lot more engaged than, than anybody before us, you know? It's yeah. also why I mean, we have yeah. higher suicide rates and depression rates and anxiety rates. And yeah, I mean, our, our, our psychological formative events are 9-11, the 2008 recession, yep. Trump's presidency and COVID. COVID. Uh, and that, that makeup forces you to be political in one way or another. And, and it does have all the effects, the tra traumatic effects that you're describing. Yeah. Well, yeah. And Black Lives Matter as well. Yep. I mean, look how many... I, 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 I don't know. I mean, again, I wasn't alive in like the eighties and like, and in the nineties, we had like the Rodney King thing and, OJ, you know, like there were things that happened in the nineties, but I think in, for us, like, it, it seems like, you know, every few months we see another death of a person of color. Right. Um, so, I, mm -hmm. I, you know, again, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't <clears throat> super aware in the nineties, so I don't know what was going so, on. So, and there. I think that, you know, to try to take some kind of positive away from that, it's really important to remember that our generation isn't in power right now. You know, we're, we're kind of slowly starting to creep in there, but this generation before us, the Nancy Pelosi's and the, and the Chuck Schumer's they're, they're going to death grip those podiums until they croak over on top of them. So 
I think the frustration and anger that's building in our generation when these things aren't being addressed. So the type of feeling that I get when I see yet another example of police brutality, just the amount of anger, like in the frustration that I have that, you know, we talk about Rodney King in the nineties and 30 years later, we're still having the same issue. Literally nothing's been done to address it. Nothing substantive anyways. So I think there's a lot of built up frustration and anger there that I hope translates into energy that when we do get an office that we can rapidly change these things, you know, or at least be a lot more optimistic to debating and working together across the aisle and things like that to, to get things done. Hopefully it brings in a, a refreshed type of energy because the tools haven't, you know, the controls haven't been in our hands for so long. Now if our generation went and voted. That's the sad part is millennials are the voting largest voting block. Now we just don't go vote, you know? So I don't know, man, that, that goes into a whole other episode about how much easier voting should be. So. No, well, I think it's that. Oh, and just ahead, people, I, I, well, just for the voting thing, I think it's how easy is it to vote and also disillusionment of voting. Like if you're just going right. to be voting for the same, if you're voting for Nancy Pelosi, like, or Chuck Schumer, if you're voting for institutional Democrats, like, okay, maybe you might not, if you're, if you're not someone who isn't as maybe attuned to the political, like what it means, like the, the stakes of like, okay, we need, them as an office if you don't if you're not really at that point and you're like well these people don't excite me i'm not gonna go vote right, right. so i think it's this two-party system's trash yeah i mean people just i think our generation we're looking for dynamic candidates and it's really hard to find dynamic candidates like get yeah. us excited like I mean, we were just talking about that with north carolina like cal cunningham was not exciting <laughs> at all and that's why people didn't go vote for him hillary like, clinton not exciting. not exciting i mean even joe biden joe biden wasn't exciting but he's not trump Right. Like that's that's what got him. So, Amy Klobuchar, yeah. not exciting. Pete Buttigieg, hucking hucking blooper, not exciting. Hick, Hick and blooper. Hey, Hick but he won his and, he, he, he won his center seat though, right? So we give him. <laughs> he's a good guy. He's 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 a <laughs> Tim crazy. Kane. Tim Kaine. Tim Kaine's the most excited. exciting guy I've ever. It's met. your senator, Jordan. I know. I'm in. I'm a North Carolinian now. So. Oh, okay. Tim Kaine, bro. When Hillary picked him in 2016, I was like, y'all what just, y'all just hang this shit up. What strategist sat down and said, "Yeah, let's pick a middle-aged white man that no one cares about and no one even knew"? <laughs> they were so cocky they were going to win the election, bro. Okay. Hey, on the on the 2021. <laughs> on 2021. Let's not go back to 2016. Hey, we can start running for office now, you guys. Right here, low key, man. For the, I realize the... that Madison Cawthorn is younger than all of us, so. And didn't doesn't have a single degree. Has no degree. He doesn't even have a college degree. School of Hard Knocks. He failed. Yes. Or he, I don't know if he failed out or dropped out. School of Sexual Predators. Yeah, at the Eagles uh, Nest University. Yeah, neo Nazi. Did, uh, did you see his interview on? Was it CNN? No, I don't. Where they like bodied up. We should just clip audio of that into our next. I was going to say, I don't. Wonderful. I don't watch anything about Nazis unless it's in a documentary. He said, I I don't know the laws of North Carolina, actually. Oh my God. (laughs) Who found this kid and propped him up and got him a He was. No, I looked into his backstory because I was just interested. Um, So he got in his accident and then he, he was interning with Mark Meadows' office. That's the thing. He started interning and working in Mark Meadows' office. And then when Mark Meadows' seat came up, Mark Meadows didn't even endorse him initially. He endorsed the other primary candidate. And then Madison Cawthorn won. But where he started was Mark, an intern in Mark Meadows' office. So that's as easy as it is, huh? 
This has to be when, Well, when you're a white guy, that's how we get a buddy in his district. We're all waiting on that uh, 